Awesome. Awesome. Hey, why don't you remain standing just for a little bit? I'm going to keep this prayer thing going. Is that okay? Why don't you just keep your eyes closed and keep your hands out in the, we call it the, re, the, the day spring position, the receiving position, which I know isn't unique to day spring, but I hold your hands out ready to receive. And just say this after me, Lord, give me eyes to see and give me ears to hear. Where there's been blockages through fear, through ignorance, through a lack of faith, I lay it down because I trust you that you are good and that you have good things for me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, excellent. You may be seated. Why don't you give your worship team a hand? It was like flashback for me looking at your worship teams. My, I was going to say my old youth pastor, but I probably shouldn't start the meeting by calling someone old. She's certainly not old. My former youth pastor... My former worship youth pastor on keys, and uh, and so it's it's kind of like it's kind of like flashback for me going back. And then Jamie, we used to play guitar, we used to rock it out together in youth ministry every Friday night, and um, so it's good to see lots of familiar faces and lots of people that I grew up, lots of people that had an impact in my life, an impact in Kristen's life as well, in the life of our family. And uh, thank you, Pastor Keith and Pastor Janet, for inviting us and for having us here, and for Pastor Ryan and Pastor Erica, for uh, hosting us and for having us. It really is uh, an honor to be here, to be able to minister with you this weekend, and to be able to, uh, you know, uh, as much as we may be up front, we're going to do this thing together. Is that okay? Because uh, I don't want to watch you receive and me not get a part of that. And I know that I have something to receive from you, that Chris and I have something to receive from you as well. Because that's just how community works, right? Doesn't, doesn't church life, doesn't the Christian life just work better together when we're open and vulnerable with each other, when we're honest with where we're at and we can receive from one another? Because, you know, just because I'm up here with the microphone doesn't make me any more anointed. I don't have a better Holy Spirit than you. I have the same Holy Spirit. And so let's just be open to receive from one another this weekend. I know that God has good things in store for all of us. And, uh, and we're going to, tonight, what I really want to do to get to know you a little bit better, also that you can get to know, I want to share my story over the last three or four years. I believe that it will speak right into the heart of, of what we want to do this weekend. And so I'm going to share a little bit about my story. And, uh, and then tomorrow, Kristen's going to share, her story, story is much shorter than mine. She's going to open up and share a little bit of her story. And then we're going to get practical. And I'm going to make you feel really uncomfortable. I'm going to stretch you. And, and, and it's going to be a time of stretching and activation where we're going to believe that God is going to open the prophetic in a whole new way in your life. Maybe some of you here have never received a prophetic word for someone. I believe that this weekend will be the time that you do. Maybe some of you here don't, have never really uh, understood or, or entered into a level of hearing the voice of God like we are called to. Who knows, it's our inheritance to hear the voice of God, to have a dialogue, a conversation with God. And one of the things we've started doing at Dayspring, uh, we get around 200 people a year through, through our church and through people coming in, and we teach them how to hear the voice of God. Now, I know that sounds really simple, but without, without you know, every single time at the end of the weekend, people come back to us and go, I never knew that I was able to hear God like that. 
They had him speak through the scriptures or speak through a, a person or speak through a preacher or a pastor, but to have dialogue, to have conversation with God where there's flow. Because who knows their life is so much better when you can hear God's voice. So much easier, right? There's mistakes that, are, that, we, miss out, that we miss out on making, and that's a good thing. Because mistakes can be costly, although mistakes can also teach us a lot. I'm assuming this is mine. So tonight, I want to speak around the theme of awakening. And I want to lay a platform for the rest of the weekend, like I said, uh, where we're doing activation and impartation as well. And we'll do that tonight. And I believe, too, as I speak tonight, that there will be impartation that happens. That, that as the word goes out, that there will be an impartation, that there will be an awakening in your lives, a greater awakening in your lives to come up to a higher level of seeing and understanding how the spirit realm works, a greater awareness of the spirit and the gifts and then working and operating in our life. So tonight is more of a why, more of the heart. I like starting with the heart. It helps us to, to know, okay, the, the next steps when we understand the why and the heart. Is that okay? Why pursuing the spirit and the gifts of the spirit is so important, particular to the church right in this moment of time. Because right across the globe, right across the world, there is an awakening happening. There is a spiritual awakening happening. People more than ever before, I mean, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, but more than ever before, people are realizing that there's a whole uh, section of the Christian life that's been forgotten and left behind. And it's the life of power, of miracles, signs, and wonders. It's the life of the prophetic, where God isn't just speaking to us, but He's speaking through us, not just inside the walls of the church, but out on the streets and opening up doors and opening up uh, opportunities that we can influence people. Because what we're finding, uh, at least in Sydney, people don't like going to church. As in, like Christians do most of the time. But people don't like coming into church. Why? Because they're, they're, they're offended or they have a preconceived uh, idea of what the church looks like. And so they won't come into church. But they're happy for you to pray for them outside the walls of the church more than ever before. More than ever before. They might not be open to an invitation to come into church. But if you come in and you say, hey, can I pray for you? I can see that you're limping. Alex and Julie, I think they just walked in. Uh, young uh, pastors uh, that we're raising up in Dayspring. Uh, just the other week at Easter, he pulled over on the side of the road. I'm sharing your story, Alex. Because he saw a guy limping. And he just jumped out of the car. I'm, I'm assuming he stopped it first. Then jumped out of the car and said, hey, bud, I, I can see that you're, that you're limping, that you're in pain. Can I pray for you? And he said, sure, no worries. And it was his hip, right? His hip, and laid hands on his hip, completely healed. Wow. Invitation right there to the gospel and the power of God right there. And so we are, we are seeing, I, I, I believe that we are on the edge of the greatest outpouring of the Spirit that we have ever seen. Now, let me, let me just say this. I have heard that all my life. I have heard that all my life. But I honestly believe it because we are actually starting to see it. We are actually starting to see it. We get stories coming back to us all the time. Perhaps you've heard the same of Jesus showing up in the middle of a Muslim community in their dreams. The man in white, they call him. And he's showing up in Muslim, in Muslim communities in their dreams. And he is leading them to the Lord in their sleep. Leading themselves to him. He is the Lord. And, and literally whole villages, whole families, whole communities are being, are being saved because of encounters that they're having. Visions and dreams that they're having at night. And that is, who knows, that is crazy. That is, that is just phenomenal. It's, this, it's a sovereign move of God that is happening, and it's also happening here in our nation. It's happening here in our nation. 
And we, we are incredibly excited. We're seeing some great things happen at Dayspring Church. We've actually, we just came up on one year as senior leaders of Dayspring Church. It's gone really quick. And we're, and we're seeing, I mean, Dayspring has, uh, you know, a long heritage and history of going after these things. But just two weeks ago, we had a lady come into our, actually three weeks, a uh, lady who uh, was a part of our church. It was just a word of knowledge that came out after worship. One of our pastors came up and said, hey, I really think that God is going to heal cancer today. It's kind of risky. You think, okay, wow, I hope you're right. Yeah. Turns out he was. And there was a lady... And so, you know, the way, that we do, the way that we do church and ministry at Dayspring is then we will say, hey, put your hand up if that really applies to you, and then we just go get them. And, uh, and so someone puts their hand up, four or five people surround them, will pray for them, lay hands on them. This lady had a lump on her breast that was due to be operated on the following Wednesday and, and taken out, and it was completely gone, completely healed. She turned on the doctors and they said, nope, there's no lump here. I don't know what's going on. She said, well, it's a miracle. My church prayed for me. And, and so these kind of miracles we're seeing happen more and more in the life of our church. I was talking to a friend on Facebook, uh, a guy by the name of Ben Hughes, who was a pastor in Sunshine Coast. Now he's in Texas somewhere. And he was over in South Africa ministering in an all-boys public high school. Is it okay if I share a few stories? All-boys public high school. And uh, there's about 1,000 boys from year 7 to year 12. Now he had a 15-minute window to share the gospel. And here's what happens. At the end of 15 minutes, he shares his testimony. 900 boys stand up to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. 900 out of 1,000. And I don't know about you, but I've never heard of that kind of thing happening, at least not too often. And all around the world, there is stories of an outpouring of His Spirit, miracles happening more and more. You just have to be around Heidi Baker. We had her at a conference a couple of weeks ago. Crazy, crazy. I mean, she's a crazy lady. But crazy miracles happening in the life of the church across the planet. More than ever before, people are open to, to spiritual conversations. Just this week, we were watching, I don't know why it was on, but Ellen was on in the background. We were having lunch on Monday, and I wasn't watching it, I promise. But, uh, but, but in, the, in the background came on, and, and they were talking about transcendental meditation and how they're now teaching it in schools in America. Because the medical profession has no answers or limited answers for anxiety, depression, and stress that teenagers have. And so they go, well, what's another solution? Here's a spiritual solution. Here's meditation. Now, who knows that's a sign of a void? It's the sign of a void that the kingdom of heaven is, is <clears throat> supposed to provide a solution for. And it's a void. To me, that, that makes me get all excited because I know that there's spiritual hunger out there. And if we would lose our Christian language and get over the fear of man and go out there and minister, people are open. People are open. People are ready. And so we send teams out into spiritual festivals, in the Mind, Body, Spirit Festival. We set up a Christian tent, a prayer tent. We give people words of knowledge. They think they come in to get their palms read, and we give them Jesus. We give them Jesus, and they have encounters with Jesus, and they get led to the Lord. People are hungry. When you look through Scripture, when you look through the Acts, acts in the early church, you will notice that their success lay with the experienced life of the Spirit, where Christ was working in and through their lives with miracles, signs, and wonders. It was an effective reality in their lives. They didn't just talk about the Spirit. They didn't just pray to the Holy Spirit. He was effectively working in and through their lives, in and through their lives on a daily basis. The church today has lost its way a little with this. It's just the truth. We've kept rightly... We've rightly kept our focus on Jesus Christ. 
But when it comes to the Spirit and the things of the Spirit, we're confused. We don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to handle Him. We're less confident about the gifts of the Spirit, how to move and how to operate in them. I love that you guys are teaching kids this. It's phenomenal. And so despite the fact that we mention the Holy Spirit in our prayers, and despite the fact that we sing about Him in our worship songs, the reality is that in a lot of churches across the world, the Spirit and the order manifestation of the Spirit is missing. The power of the Spirit is missing. I'm not saying the Spirit Himself is missing because that's what makes us Christian in the first place. But often we've just reduced the Holy Spirit to a still, small voice. Well, how does the Holy Spirit work in our life? Well, He's the still, small voice. Or we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, I wish I had you guys when I was in kids' ministry. I grew up in a Pentecostal uh, church, and I remember the felt-bought stories of the fruit of the Spirit, the banana and the grapes and the apples and the pears, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. I think I might have missed one. But I don't remember ever being taught about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, I saw prophets come in. I saw healing evangelists come in. I saw the power of God, but I was never taught that that was available for me to operate in. There was no grid. There was no context for that to be imparted into my life so that the same power that I saw flowing through this man of God, the same prophetic power that I saw flowing through this men and women that would come, I was never told that I had an inheritance to receive and walk and operate in that very same power. All I was taught was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Good thing to learn. But you won't find that out of balance in the early church. For Paul in the early church, they embraced both the gifts and the power and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The early church didn't have a context for being a Christ follower and not living a life of power. There was no context for it. It was one and the same. If you were were a Christian, signs and wonders followed. Miracles happen. There was no context for living a powerless Christian life. That happened afterwards where some way we got deceived. The church was deceived into thinking that the, that the signs and wonders that they were for back then, they were for the times of the apostles. And, and now that we have the word on our phone, we no longer need the gifts of the Holy Spirit because we've got the word. I love what Bill Johnson says around that. How can we expect the fruit of the early church? We have more value for a book they didn't have than the spirit they did have. Isn't that incredible? That's not to say that we don't value the Word. Of course we do. But it's the Spirit that makes the Word come alive. It's the Spirit that makes the Word come alive. They had no context for a Christian life that was powerless, that wasn't operating in signs and wonders. The Spirit was a key player in the early church. Covered everything, powerful life, growth, fruits, gifts, witnessing, evangelism, prayer, and everything else. The reason why this is so important now in this time and age and the reason why I believe there is an awakening happening right now in this point in time because more than ever before, our culture, our post-modern culture looks almost identical to the same culture that existed in those days when the, church, when the gospel first went forth and bore so much fruit. Our world doesn't look too much dissimilar, moving more and more away, becoming more and more godless. Gods of this age that might not be idols like they were in Paul's time with the Roman gods, but the God of self, the God of busyness. And so more and more, our culture is starting to look like the culture 
that the church was so effective in when they were moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you watch what happens when the church gets this. When our eyes are open to the power of the Holy Spirit and we start moving in greater and greater signs and wonders, you just watch how much of a radical difference it will make in our world. Will it bring persecution? You betcha. Because it did then and it will now. But it will also bring souls in the kingdom like never before. Here's a quote from Gordon Fee, famous uh, theologian, well-respected theologian who uh, has a high doctrine of the Spirit, says this, the church is going to be effective in our postmodern world. We need to stop paying mere lip service into the Spirit. And to recapture Paul's perspective in the early church, the Spirit is the experienced, empowering return of God's own personal presence in and among us, who enables us to live as a radically eschatological people in the present world while we await the return of Christ. Radically eschatological people, what does that mean? I know you're asking the question. Basically, it means people live from heaven toward earth. From the reality of heaven, the rule and reign of the kingdom toward earth. And this is what I want to unpack a little bit tonight, if that's okay. You guys still with me? That clock's still on daylight saving time, right? Yeah, it is. All right, Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to turn there quickly, I'm going to read through this really quick. So I don't want to take too much time, but I want to use this to set the foundation. It says this, verse 8, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, not stressed out, in a literal tent, as did Isaac and Jacob, who with heirs, sorry, that was a pastor joke, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Where, he, where was he looking? He was looking forward. Verse 13, they all lived, talking now about the patriarchs, they all lived their lives on earth as those who belonged to another realm. For clearly those who live this way are longing for the appearing of a heavenly city. This is the Passion Translation. And if their hearts were still remembering what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. But they could not turn back because their hearts were fixed on what was far greater, that is, the heavenly realm. goes on to talk about Moses, Rahab, David, and Samuel. In verse 33, it says this, they, Their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into, pulled on a kingdom reality, pulled them into reality. And then verse 12, switches gears, includes us in on the picture. As for us, we all have these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds, each affirming faith's reality. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that we so easily fall into. Then we'll be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination, for the path has already been marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm, and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus, who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. So these scriptures here in Hebrews, and we rush through them. It's a Passion Translation, which unpacks it a little bit uh, uh, in, in talking about the kingdom realm and reality. These scriptures in Hebrews teach us how the great men and women lived. They were pulling on a different reality. They were pulling on a different realm. They lived from heaven towards earth. Why was it that Abraham was able to live <clears throat> in tents as a pilgrim? Because he saw himself belonging to a different country, a heavenly country. They were not governed by the natural or by the physical, but what they could sense with their natural senses. 
faith allowed them to see and operate out of a heavenly realm. Chapter 12 switches gears, places us in the picture. Now these great men and women of the past are witnesses for us. They are signposts for us, showing us how to live a life of faith, showing us how to live a kingdom life, living from heaven towards earth, showing us, modeling to us that actually we don't live from here towards heaven. We live from heaven's reality, the fullness of heaven's promise, and we are called to release that. Pastor Keith was talking about it before, release that on earth. All of heaven's fullness, everything that's in heaven, we are called to release that onto into this realm. This is a picture of kingdom living. And he goes on to say, we look away from the natural realm and fasten our gaze on Jesus. He is where we fix our eyes. You know, where is Jesus sitting? Right next to you in heavenly places. Right next to you in heavenly places. Kind of makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. That we, that we should be sitting right next to God. But that's what Ephesians clearly says, right? That we are seated in heavenly places. We are a new creation, the first creation, the first creature of its kind to live in two places at once, both in heaven and on earth. Get your head around that. You can't. You're not supposed to. It's a spiritual truth. But that's the reality that, that this is painting a picture of. And so the journey that all of us are on is learning how to live from heaven towards earth. For most of my Christian life, I lived the other way around, from earth toward heaven. I lived like this. Well, if I do everything right today, I'll get to heaven tomorrow. Living in fear that maybe yesterday I did something wrong that might disqualify me from that. I live from earth, focusing on how I'm going to get this earthly body and this life that I'm living into heaven without being disqualified. Does that make sense? That's how I lived the majority of my Christian life. What a difference it made the day I realized that I had it the wrong way around. That I am already seated in heavenly places. That the Spirit within me, His Holy Spirit, is the seal, the deposit, the guarantee that I am a heavenly creation, a heavenly creature, that my home is in heaven, and I am called to release my heavenly home into my earthly reality and environment. What a difference that makes. What, it's a completely different perspective. I'm not worried about getting life wrong. I'm worried about releasing heaven on earth. That's my focus. I'm worried about that. It's a completely different reality. And by default, because my focus and perspective has shifted, I forget about making mistakes, realizing that my God is bigger than all of that. And then nothing can shift me from that heavenly position. We are sitting in heavenly places. It is our home. Here's the thing, though. Before heaven's thoughts and realities, if we're called to release heaven on earth, before heaven's thoughts and realities get to earth, they have to pass through our heart and our head. The problem is that by the time they come out of our head, we've reasoned all of heaven out of it. If we are called to release heaven on earth, it's the spirit that bears witness to heaven's reality. When we're talking about signs, miracles, uh, and, and the prophetic, we're talking about releasing heaven on earth. But quite often what happens is that when we filter that through our heart and then through our head, by the time it comes out on the other side, we have reasoned heaven out of the equation. And we are left with principles, structure, and religion that has no power. That has no power. An intellectual grasp of truth does not carry the power of transformation. We can understand a truth in our head. We can understand that God is a healer. 
But an intellectual grasp of truth will not carry the power to deliver that revelation. It needs to be a heart truth, a heart revelation, a heart transformation in the renewing of our mind. Let me tell you a little about my story. Three years ago, three and a half years ago, we came in as uh, young adult pastors and overseeing youth and worship at Dayspring. Mum and dad uh, at Gateway Pastors, they had already kind of started us on the journey of walking in spiritual gifts. And, and we had been to a Bill Johnson conference once or twice. We started reading his books and dad started teaching them. When now, I'm just going to be real honest with you. Is that okay? When we, I first started hearing this stuff, I didn't like it. When I first started seeing some of the stuff that was coming out of Beth, I thought, that's weird. That's not for me. It's, you know, and no, no young person is going gonna, is gonna to take, take this up because it just doesn't look good. It looks awkward sometimes. It looks uncomfortable. It looks, it looks weird. And so here I am now, pastor, or, yeah, pastor at Dayspring Church, youth pastor, young adults pastor, Dayspring Church, in an environment that's so much further ahead. And, uh, you know, we just knew that God had, had us here for a reason. Three months in, we get rushed into a, uh, to the green room, to a guest lounge, to be with Bobby Connor. Has anyone ever heard of Bobby Connor? A few people. I had never really heard of him. Crazy prophet from Texas. Incredible man of God. Incredible man of God. So we get rushed in. It's just me, Kristen, David Norell, and one of our, one of the pastor. And for three hours, he shares story after story after story about God encounters, angelic encounters, supernatural encounters, uh, stories and, prof- and prophetic moments in his life. Now, here's what's happening. Again, I'm just going to be real and honest. My mind is getting incredibly offended because I'm hearing this and going, I don't know if I can believe it. I've got no grid for this. I've been in church all my life and I've never heard anyone talk like this. I've never heard anyone describe an encounter with Jesus like you've just had, where he's walked into your room and started doing an artwork on your wall to describe where revival was going to break out and giving you strategies. And, and my mind is offended by what he's saying. It can't get, I can't get my head around it. I've never heard, show me where that is in the Bible, please. I hear what you're saying, Bobby, but where is that in the Bible? Do you understand? Anyone can relate to this? My head was offended, but my heart was exploding. My heart was exploding. My heart knew that it was that I was stepping into uh, this whole new reality, that, that it was being awakened to something that had been covered up before. There was a veil I never knew existed, a whole new spiritual... I mean, this guy has crazy, crazy stories. He's, he's uh, foiled multiple assassination attempts on presidents. Crazy. Have you ever heard of a guy called Bob Jones? Yeah. So, so, him, so he had... I'll tell you a story about Bobby Connor. So he had this vision, this dream of a lady in the green dress and, and, and saw her walk up and put a gun under the president at the time under his chin. He had no idea what to do with it. He woke up, told his wife and kind of left it at that. Jumps in the car. Two weeks later, Bob Jones gets in and says, hey, boy, what do you know about the president? And he goes, oh, I don't know too all, that, all that much, really. And he goes, what do you know about the lady with the green dress? And he goes, oh, I know a little bit about her. And he said, God said to tell me that if we don't do something about it, he's going to hold us accountable. Now, these guys have access. They have the phone numbers to the CIA and, and, and the White House. So they can, they can, because multiple times they've been included and invited to give wisdom, prophetic wisdom, prophetic revelation in the midst of wars and rumors of wars in the midst of all these things. And so literally, they, they put a call in and said, hey, you need to keep an eye out. There's an assassination attempt. And they found her. They found a lady with a green dress. Crazy. 
I'm listening to this, probably thinking what you're thinking right now. I don't know if I can believe that. I don't know. That just sounds too far-fetched. That sounds too far out there. Let me tell you, there was nothing compared to some of the stories. My heart was, my, my mind was offended. My heart was exploding. And halfway through that, we had a break. And I went out and I rang my dad and I called him and I burst into tears. I, I said, I don't know what's happening. I don't understand this. I can't get my head around it. If you're not doing anything this weekend, you should be here because this guy is going to blow your mind. And that began a journey for me of, of discovering this whole new level of spiritual. It's, it's still a walk. I haven't encountered anything like this guy has encountered yet. But I'm praying for it and believing and pressing in for it. But in, you know, weeks after, I'm processing this and say, okay, God, show me that this is real. Show me this is real. He said, okay, read the book of Acts. Do you know how many angelic and miracle and crazy, crazy stories there are in the book of Acts? I mean, Philip chasing down a chariot and then being there one minute and gone the next. Angelic encounter after angelic encounter. Why are we so offended by this stuff happening? Why are we so put off when people start talking about angels appearing and, and the spirit realm being opened up and being caught up in the trances? I mean, if someone came in and told you that they had a trance like Peter told you, what would you do? I know what I would have done 10 years ago. I would have gone three, four rows back from church. I mean, I'm not sitting anywhere either, that person. It's crazy. And God led me to this story in Acts where, and you guys will be familiar with it, where Peter is in jail. He's in prison. And the church is in a room praying for him to be released. Remember the story? And so they're praying and he's in prison. And what happens? An angel comes and lets him out. Crazy. Lets him out, walks straight out. And then Peter shows up at the doorstep, knocks on the door. And, uh, and, and to get in while they're, where they're praying. And the servant girl comes out and she opens the door, screams in horror, got no idea what's going on, slams the door, and then walks in to tell the others, hey, I just saw Peter. Now, here's their response, and this is what God used to kind of bring me into this uh, understanding that this is for real. Their response was, no, it could not be Peter. It must be his angel. Now, you think about that. They had such a grid for the supernatural that it was more likely for them that she had an angelic encounter that was Peter's angel. No, no, you didn't see Peter. Couldn't possibly be Peter. He's in prison. Even though we're praying for his release, it must have been his angel. That is so far removed from any teaching or any understanding that I received in church growing up. So illogical. I'm a computer programmer, right? That was my thing for 18 years. Sitting behind a keyboard, Crunching in and typing out numbers. Awesome. Loved it. Not. No, I didn't. I loved it. I, it's not natural for me to think illogical. Every, everything is logical. Everything's got a order. Mathematical. And so imagine trying to get my head around this. Imagine trying to get our heads around how God moves and his ways and his thoughts if we keep approaching him with this logical grid that he was never designed to fit in. That's our world. It's not his. That's our world. It's not his. So the early church lived in a culture that was so much more spiritually aware than our Western world. Quite often what happens, and I don't know if this is, maybe this is just me that I'm speaking to tonight, but I trust that there are other people that can relate to this. When we're confronted by a spiritual manifestation that we don't understand, we become offended and we push it to the side and we reject it. And the tendency is to overcorrect correct, rather than look for the truth that might be in there. The tendency is to overcorrect. 
I'm, I'm happy to be honest with you and say sometimes God shows up, things get messed up, things get a little chaotic and out of order, and things happen that I don't understand. Things happen that I can't explain. But if I was to shift aside or move aside everything that offends me, what would I be left with? Religion. No power. I don't understand that. I'm offended by that. Rather than leaning in and discovering, okay, what part? Because let's be honest, sometimes it is, it is, sometimes it is flesh manifesting. Sometimes it is man trying to get attention. Let's be honest. And sometimes the prophetic, sometimes we've done it wrong. Sometimes we, as a church, we've done it really wrong. And, and it has been out of the context of relationship, which is really important in the prophetic. And out of the context of covering and no accountability. Sometimes we've done it very, very poorly. But rather than learn from that, we've just thrown it all away. Too hard, can't understand it. It's hurt some people, can't afford that anymore. And so we just reject it. What did the disciples do when they didn't understand something? They lent in. Jesus, we don't understand the parable of the sower. We don't understand what you're saying. They came to him to ask, can you explain this mystery to us? We don't understand. We're no grid for this. Help us to understand. They, they lent in. They maintained connection. They maintained relationship. Everything in the kingdom is about relationship and connection. When, when, that, when the man brought the, the demon-possessed boy to the disciples and they couldn't cast him out, what did they do? They said, well, it mustn't be for us. Maybe Jesus is the only one who can, can do that. Jesus is the only one who has the power to cast out demons and devils. We can't do it. So they, they didn't push it aside. They didn't reject it because they didn't understand it. What did they do? They, they lent in. Jesus, can you tell us why this happened? And I, I bet you we'd be so much, as a church, we'd be so much further down the track if instead of rejecting what offends us, we just lent in and asked God about it. What do you think about this? What do you think about what I just saw? Because I've got no grid for that. I did not see that coming. These are the conversations that we have and that we're invited into with God. We bring mystery and the bigness of God down to a level we can understand. And in the process, we reason God out. That is religion. It is what happens when we live from the influence of our mind. It comes about principle, structure, and logic. Religion submits the ways of God to the mind of men. We've just celebrated Easter. For large parts of the world, the cross is nothing more than a religious icon with no power. But the cross was never meant to be the focal point of religion. It was supposed to be an invitation into resurrection life and resurrection power. Power. There is power in the cross. It is not a religious icon. There is power, and, the, and God is bringing the church back into that power of resurrection life. Amen? Amen. All right. Where are we going? What are we doing? Everything that we're talking about here is kingdom, plain and simple. Now, when I say kingdom, probably almost all of you have a different grid for what that means. These days, often when the word kingdom is used, it's, it's meant unity, including others in on my ministry. Well, I'm kingdom-minded, and so I invite others to my church meeting, right? Has anyone ever heard that kingdom used that way? Well, I'm kingdom-minded, so I'm not all about my church and my little ministry. No, no, I'm kingdom-minded. I, I include others. I invite other people. That's not what the kingdom is about. I mean, it's a small part of what the kingdom is about, 
But the kingdom is simply this. Let me just redefine this quite simply. It's heaven on earth. That's what it is when we're talking about it. It is really simple. When we're talking about the gifts, manifestation of the gifts of the supernatural, we're talking about heaven crashing in on earth. When a miracle happens, heaven crashes in on earth. When, the prophetic, when a prophetic moment happens, it is heaven crashing in on earth. Jesus said our first role, our first assignment is to seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And out of that uh, priority of keeping His kingdom first, miracles, signs, and wonders, deliverance, freedom, and salvation flow when we seek His kingdom. Why? Because we're bringing heaven in on earth. And just like this world, the kingdom has a culture. This world has many cultures. Many cultures. The kingdom has a culture. The kingdom has its own culture. And that's the culture that we want to cultivate in our churches, in our ministries, in and around our lives so that miracles flow. Let's not make the mistake of trying to fit a miracle into our culture or fit, a, fit, fit miracles or signs or the prophetic into a culture. No, we create a culture of the kingdom and miracles happen. I'm just going to set aside this 10 minutes in our service for a miracle. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. I mean... God will probably show up and give you a miracle because He's an, an amazing God and He wants to heal people. But for miracles to flow, we create a culture of heaven. We create a culture of kingdom in and around our lives. This is what Peter did. He walked down the street and he had such a culture of heaven in and on his life that his shadow healed people. His shadow brought heaven on earth. Come on, that's crazy. Again, something really weird, right? That's, that doesn't happen every day. There are two foundations that I want to talk about real quick. Kingdom culture. I'm going to mention these because we haven't got time. I want to do some ministry tonight. It's present-centered. Kingdom culture is present-centered. And if I could have the musos up, actually, that'll help me hurry up. Okay, it goes without saying. The focus of the kingdom is the king himself. Present-centered, presence-focused, learning how to steward his presence. So real quick, it's presence over promise. Presence over promise. When Moses was uh, with the children of Israel, God was fed up. He said, I'm done with these people. I'm leaving them. And I'm going to send an angel to guide you into the promised land. What does Moses say? No, 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 no. We're not going anywhere without your presence. We've got to understand what's happening. God was giving Moses and the children of Israel the promise. You can have the promise. And Moses said, no, I will not have the promise without your presence. It's presence over promise. Let's not get caught up in the, pres- in the promise of having a great ministry or a successful church or a successful life and take the promise without His presence because the promise is empty without His presence. It's presence over principle. Lot and Abraham. Abraham says, hey, it's time for us to part ways. What does Lot do? He looks to the city. He looks to the well-watered plains right next to Sodom. He looks at structure. He looks at what's already been established and said, that's my spot. That's where I'm going to go. Abraham waits. God shows up. He said, Abraham, come for a walk. Come and I'll show you everything that is yours. Abraham chose presence over structure. Presence over principle. Structure doesn't dictate our response. His presence does. So much of what we do is done out of ministry principles instead of out of his presence. Bill Johnson says that those who desire principles above presence seek a kingdom without a king. Presence over task. It is so easy for me to be task-focused. Here are the things that I need to do today, to be a Martha. Who knows there's nothing wrong with being a Martha. We all need to be Martha, but it starts with being a Mary. It starts at His feet. It starts in His presence. It's presence 
over task. Kingdom culture is relationally focused is the second thing. And this is really important. Maybe we'll spend some time unpacking this tomorrow. Kingdom culture is relationally focused. The kingdom will only be entrusted through family. The kingdom is entrusted and extended through a family, through a tribe of sons and daughters. It's a father's kingdom. When we leave the context of family, we leave the context of kingdom. It's family first. How we relate to one another. We know how important it is with our relationship with God. But let me tell you, uh, let's not forget how important our relationship with each other is. How we relate to one another. Being real with one another. So who, who knows unity isn't unity doesn't happen when we come together. It happens when we are real together. Being vulnerable. Hey, I, I, you know, I'm going through this. Can you help? We, we, if we were vulnerable and real with each other, you'd be surprised at how many miracles are sitting right next to you. You'd be surprised about how many miracles are sitting right next to you. You might be going through financial difficulties and financial hardship. You might be sitting next to someone who has authority, kingdom authority over finances. And if you were just vulnerable and real and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Hey, I need some wisdom on this. You might just receive your miracle. You might be struggling with sickness. The person behind you might have beaten cancer. They might have, hey, you might have an anointing to release over your life, a testimony that says, do it again. But are you prepared to be real? Drop the mask. Who knows that God can't work with our masks? God can't heal the people we're pretending to be. Come on. And so the kingdom is carried on the frequency of relationships. Everything in the kingdom is relational. And any response that we have in, in the context of ministry, in the context of life, that pulls us away from connection is an ungodly one. Because mystery, what we don't understand, even Jesus says, hey, when you have a problem, what do you do? You go and connect. You sort it out. Why? Because can, like, the devil will do anything to get you disconnected. Because he knows that's, that'll stop kingdom flowing in your life. Why don't we stand to our feet? Kingdom is carried on the frequency of relationships. This is what this means. God is not looking for leaders. He's looking for fathers. In the context of kingdom, it's not leadership. It's fathership. And there is a difference. Not all leaders are fathers, but all fathers are leaders. Leaders work with potential. Fathers work with identity. We're not called to be life coaches and give people skill upgrades. We're called to unlock identity. That's, con that's the context of family, right? That's the context of family. As a father, I'm going to release my sons into all that they can be. I'm not just going to upskill them. I'm going to release speak into their identity. You can get anywhere near through any of that. But we want to do some, uh, have a ministry time. Why don't we just close our eyes. There's a story about Elisha and his servant. And they're surrounded by 
horses and chariots of the enemy. The servant wakes up and he's full of fear because he sees the enemy. He's oblivious to the spiritual realm and the spiritual reality. And Elijah prays this simple prayer, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And of course, we know the rest of the story. His eyes are open and he sees all the horses and chariots of God that greatly outnumber the enemy. And tonight, that's what I want to release over people tonight. Eyes to see. Eyes to see. And if you're here tonight and you're just, your simple heart's cry is, I want to see in a whole new level if there's a greater spiritual reality available for me, Lord, open my eyes to it. I want to see. Some of these crazy stories, I, I, I want to see. Your mind might still be offended. That's okay. It'll catch up. It'll catch up. And so if that's you, why don't you just quickly make your way to the front? And you get Kristen and Alex and Julie to come out and help with this prayer. as well alright so I've got Alex and Julie here with me and Kristen we'll get some of the victory and NC guys as well to pray before they do that let me just pray this prayer over you is that okay alright close our eyes hold out your hands Lord I ask Father in heaven would you open eyes right now Would you open our eyes so that we would see in a way that we've never seen before. Help us to see what you see. Help us to see from a kingdom reality, from the heavenly position, from way up there, the view that you have. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our eyes that we would see. Lord, that there would be a generation of young people released tonight that have spiritual vision in a greater capacity in a greater capacity. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. May we think the way you think, see the way you see. Lord, give us boldness to step out. Give us courage, Lord, to step out, to speak the words that we see and hear you speaking. In Jesus' name.